Disturbing details of violent sexual assaults out of Calgary, another Islamophobic attack at a mosque, this time in Montreal. CBC does PR for the RCMP, the CBC lobbies for a mining company, and Amnesty International condemns the treatment of journalists in Burkina Faso. Good morning. It's Tuesday, April 11th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. First, we start in Calgary with a very disturbing story about a man who's been charged with crimes targeting sex workers. The news is being reported by CBC Calgary's Omar Sharif. From December 21 until this past March, at least three women were approached by Richard Robert Mantha, allegedly, in Forest Lawn. The women were then drugged, driven out to an acreage 16 kilometers east of Chestermere. There, they were physically and sexually assaulted, allegedly. Mantha is a tenant at the property. Mantha has been charged with many crimes, including outstanding warrants for sexual assault and assault causing bodily harm. Disturbingly, the police have said that they are examining previous missing persons cases and the homicide unit, forensic officers and cadaver dogs were used during the search of the acreage. Police said that the search was a culmination of a months long investigation, which makes me wonder about this March 2023 assault that they are aware of him approaching women, allegedly drugging and taking them out to the property. Was he under investigation when that happened or was that the moment that triggered something important in the investigation? It's still early days in the story, and I'm sure we'll hear more. Next to Montreal, a downtown Montreal mosque, the Al-Oma Al-Islamia Mosque, was the site of a quote-unquote terrifying incident on Sunday, reports Nouveau Info. A 32-year-old man armed with a club chased at least two people who took refuge in the mosque. The news was broken online when the Canadian Muslim Forum posted security footage of the attack. The man has been charged, though not with hate crimes. Nouveau's Julien Denis reports that the Montreal Police's hate crimes unit has been in touch with the mosque's leadership and that more charges are possible. The local member of National Assembly, Andreas Fantasia, said he condemned the attack, quote, without question. This Islamophobic attack against a mosque in the middle of Ramadan. I'm surprised that the suspect was released so quickly, but let's let justice take its course, unquote. The local MP, Mark Miller, said that he hopes the attack will be investigated completely by the SPVM. He did not mention that he's literally a member of the federal cabinet and could, like tomorrow, announce more actions to combat Islamophobic hatred. Now, I want to mention a feature at CBC News that's called, quote, when anarchists attack, how police say a peaceful indigenous led protest over a BC pipeline was hijacked by violent outsiders, unquote. The piece was written by three journalists, Rob Brown, Anusha Kav and Mia Sheldon. You'd think that with a title like that, the piece would have any proof at all that outsiders committed an attack. But they are right to attribute the story entirely to police in their headline. It does seem like the whole thing came from the RCMP. Despite being called, quote, when anarchists attack, unquote, the article contains no information at all about anarchists attacking. It details attacks against a coastal gas link worksite that happened on February 17th, 2022. The Independent Contractors and Business Association claimed that the attack cost about $20 million. 
The feature, the investigative feature, is filled with innuendo related to high-profile anarchists who, over the past decade, have done solidarity work with Indigenous groups. But that is the sum total of their proof. The journalists boast, quote, now for the first time since the 2022 attack, RCMP are revealing key details about the investigation to CBC News, including who they believe orchestrated the attack that night, how they escaped, and how many suspects have been identified, unquote. Though none of those details are actually in the story, and as if the CBC is ultra special for having been chosen by the RCMP to tell this story. Incredibly, the story also includes this, quote, none of the people featured in the story have been named as suspects in the attack. CBC News has no information suggesting that they took part in the worksite attack or arson in Smithers, which is basically announcing that nothing in the article that's related to individuals should be understood in the context of this attack at the coastal gas site. There's no new information in this piece at all, just that the RCMP still has no idea who did it, despite having apparently chased at least one of the assailants out of the camp. They also have video of the assailants who were dressed all in white, and one of them knew how to operate a coastal gas link excavator. Salado, one of the leaders from Wet'suwet'en, said that with this line of argument, quote, police are trying to create divisions, unquote. Anyway, this is not a new tactic to try and blame stuff on shady outsiders. And what better group to use than anarchists, right? But this is not a serious investigation. It's pure propaganda. And it took three reporters to do it. Three reporters who, by the way, should be ashamed of this story. Next, another story from the CBC that is bad. This one greenwashes mining and argues that Canada needs to subsidize new graphite mines in Quebec. Let me read you how Christian Paz Lang introduces the story. Quote, drive two hours north of Ottawa, put on a hard hat and a bright orange vest, descend into a pit, and you'll find yourself on the front line in the fight to be part of the new green economy. Unquote. I mean, okay, buddy, like if this is the first time you've ever been to a mine, you shouldn't be writing about mining. Number one, number two, big deal that they gave you a high vis vest. And three, on the front line of the fight to be part of the new green economy. Are you kidding me? Maybe a green economy shouldn't include mining or can't include mining. And it's a misnomer to even call any economy that is opening new mines part of a green economy. We could unpack that. We could be more critical, but Okay, this is only the first, like, 30 words, so I should keep going. He helps us understand, quote, a mining project might not be what comes to mind when you think of the transition to a lower emissions economy, bracket, no shit, unbracket, but embedded in electric vehicles, solar panels, and hydrogen fuel storage are metals and minerals that come from mines, like the one in Lac des Îles, Quebec, unquote. All right. The article goes on to explain that graphite is considered a critical mineral and that this mine wants to mine graphite. Critical minerals are, quote, substances of significant strategic and economic importance to the future of national economies, says the article. And China dominates the industry. Northern Graphite's CEO told CBC's government propaganda show The House that they need government money to quote-unquote kickstart production because no one is buying graphite for batteries yet. But they will, says Hugues Jacquemin, the CEO, in three or four years, he thinks. And no one wants to take 100% risk. Therefore, they need federal money. Naturally, CBC did some PR or lobbying for the company and went straight to John Wilkinson, the Minister of Natural Resources. They asked him if the government would fund the project. And he said that the government can't be the only source of funding. 
Now, I have to mention that at this part of the story, it's total terra nullius garbage. There's no indication of which indigenous nation lays claim to this territory, if they've consented to it, if they're part of the project at all. Indigenous people do not exist yet. And we're like pretty far into the story. But somehow the story gets worse. Okay, so John Wilkinson says we can't fund this at 100 percent. Freaking obviously. But you know who is interested in investing? The U.S. Department of Defense. They have, quote, expressed interest in projects here and a willingness to invest, unquote. Imagine a foreign military investing in mines to produce critical minerals. Why not just admit that Canada is fake and doesn't actually exist? Anyway, they do get to the critics pretty far down in the story. And the critics say that these projects take too long to approve. That's right. The critics that they go to first are conservatives who think that mining projects should just be approved much faster than currently is the case. Finally, we arrive at the bottom third of the story, subtitled Environmental Impact Indigenous Participation. And it starts with, quote, perhaps the most significant challenges to the mining industry come from concerns about environmental impacts and the role of indigenous communities, unquote. Mm-hmm, perhaps, perhaps law might get in the way with this. Good point, CBC. Thanks for reminding us of this. They talk to environmental defense that explains all the reasons for why this might not be a good project. And then inexplicably, Pass Lang pivots to the Nistanga First Nation, who is mentioned as having not been meaningfully consulted on proposals related to the Ring of Fire. The Ring of Fire is not a Quebec project. It's not located in Quebec. And Nistanga is about 1,100 kilometers away from Lac des Îles, Quebec, where this graphite mine is going to be built. Very confusing for why Pass Lang went there, other than maybe doing a Google search to see which other Indigenous people have been struggling against mining. I don't know. Probably more pertinent would have been to look at the struggle of the Anishinaabeg of Barrier Lake, who are only about two hours away by car from the proposed mine site. The Anishinaabeg of Barrier Lake have resisted copper mining on their lands. And just last week, Radio Canada featured the community in a story about the housing crisis. Crisis there. I know, I know, it's too much to expect the house of all shows to critically look at the juxtaposition of mining and a so-called green economy, or to investigate how Canada has pivoted to resource extraction as part of the neoliberal shift to our economy, and there is a limit to how much we can take and take and take and take and take through mining projects all the time. It's too much to ask for some critical thinking when they think that being critical is, well, we need to approve mines faster in this country, as if mines aren't intimately linked to genocide. And I guess it's also too much for them to even go looking for an indigenous community closer to the mine site. I get it. English language journalists don't operate well in French and they can find something easily about Northwestern Ontario, but can't even find something at Radio-Canada. Oh my goodness. Anyway, this story was also written with files from three other journalists, but somehow me Googling a bunch of stuff late at night after a soccer game produced better journalism. For shame. And finally, Le Monde is reporting that Amnesty International is calling on officials in Burkina Faso to stop attacking and threatening journalists in that country. France 24 journalists have been suspended and correspondents with Liberation and Le Monde have been expelled from the country. Amnesty wrote, quote, fighting against armed groups and insecurity is not a pretext for restraining freedom of the press and stopping citizens from accessing information, unquote. The statement was put out by Samira Daoud from Amnesty's West Africa office. 
Burkina Faso is currently ruled by Ibrahim Traoré. He came to power in a second coup d'etat in eight months. Fighting between Burkina Faso forces and the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda has resulted in at least 10,000 deaths in that country. Those are your headlines for today. It is Tuesday, April 11th. It is Tuesday. Normally, this is Sandy Norday. We don't have a new episode for you this week. We took the week off because of the long weekend. But I will slide in a conversation today that I had with Pam Palmiter as part of the 30 Wood podcast series. So listen up, enjoy, and I hope you have a great Tuesday.